0: Well hello church, I am so excited about today as we continue our series Hope for everyone. Today we're talking specifically about hope for marriages. Uh, One of the reasons I'm excited about today is we're sort of using this sermon as a launch for one of the really most important classes we offer around here. It's called Nine Questions Before or After You Get Married. And it's for anybody who's thinking about marriage or you are married and you just want to kind of inject a little of God's wisdom and God's word into that process. Uh, Nine Questions class kicks off soon. You can get the details in your bulletin, and this series, kind of, this sermon today, kind of inspi- might inspire you to get connected with that. Uh, the other reason I'm so excited about today is because we've got a friend of mine here today uh, that I have been wanting to preach uh, for us since about the day I took this job, and I'm so glad that he's here today. Uh, 23 years ago, uh, Ben hired me for my very first ministry job, and then 14 years ago, he hired me for my second uh, ministry job. In fact, uh, until I got this job, uh, every job I had as an adult, uh, Ben was the one who hired me. So coming here was the first time I proved I could get a job on my own without Ben hiring me. Um, but no, really, uh, so much of who I am as a pastor, I owe to Ben. I got to work with Ben at Grandview here in Johnson City and then at Mountain Christian Church, uh, where he is the senior minister and has been uh, since 97, I think, if I've got this right. And um, and really more, more than the fact that I feel like every good thing I know about being a pastor, Ben taught me more than that. Uh, ben and Carla and his family are some of the dearest friends uh, that Betsy and I and our family have in life, uh, and I'm so grateful to continue uh, to be part of one great big church uh, with Ben, and I'm so glad uh, that he's here uh, as we continue our series, Hope for Everyone. I know you're going to be blessed uh, by his message. Help me welcome Ben as he shares
1: with us. I hired him twice because it didn't work out so well the first time. I was like, oh, let's try this again. And I couldn't figure it out, so we just sent him to you. So good luck. That's how it works. Hey, it's a privilege and an honor to be with you uh, at First Christian. You know, you're a, you're, your church is known all over the country, and uh, I've known of your church for so many years, uh, and it's a privilege and an honor to be with you. It really is. I bring you greetings from... Your friend's just up the road a little bit, Mountain Christian Church, near Baltimore, Maryland, where we are. It's only about eight hours north here, and, uh, you know, it's kind of funny when you think about the names. I'll just be honest with you. We're called Mountain Christian Church, but there ain't any mountains anywhere near us, okay? I don't know why, And then, but you guys have all these beautiful mountains, and you go by the name First Christian Church, but then I got thinking about it. We go back to 1824, and all y'all only go back to, like, 1871, so you're just like, you're young kids compared to us. And so you kind of got our name, we kind of got your name, I don't know, but we've also traded a lot else over the years, we've traded a lot of people. And uh, you know, Ethan and Betsy were with us and we just couldn't imagine doing ministry in life without them. They have become, again, Carla, some of our dearest friends, their family, and everyone in our church feels the same way. And uh, but then the Lord has a funny way of moving people when he when and where he wants them, you know. And so he drew them down here. And I got to thinking, you know, that's not the first one. You know, Bernie and Lisa Blankenship. You know, they were at Mountain before they were here. And then I got thinking, you know, remember Heath, Schnelly, and Tanya? Well, they were at Mountain before they were here. And I got thinking, well, Michael and Janet Galante are here in this service. Well, they were at Mountain before they were here. And then I got thinking, well, even my own daughter is here. Ellie's a a junior at Milligan, and she's here. And Bree Olson, and now Nathan and Megan Hall are coming. You owe me some members, dude. (laughs) But it's a great relationship we have uh, between the two churches and just the memories of working with Ethan and Betsy just lead me to just want to remind you and just say as I look at this church, I hope you know, um, First Christian people, I get, the, I get the privilege of being in a lot of different churches. And, um, you know, a lot of churches are struggling today. Okay? There's going to be about 3,000 churches that will close their doors just this year. In America today, So many churches are struggling, and yet you look at you guys. You know, you're, you're growing and you're thriving, and God is clearly at work. Lives are being changed, and the Spirit is present and it's palpable, and you have Ethan and Betsy and an amazing team around them. I hope you know how stinking blessed you are. I hope you do, and if you don't, you are. This is a great church, and I can't wait to see what God's doing uh, in the future here. So just thanks for the privilege of being with you today to talk about hope. Does anybody need some hope? Man, I love this series, Hope for Everyone. We all need hope, and we need a lot of it, especially in the day and age in which we live. I love that you've talked about the fact that there's hope for failures. No matter what is wrong with your story and what's gone on in the past, there's hope for failures. And I love that you've talked about the fact that even though maybe a lot of people have given up on friendship, God hasn't, and there's so hope for friendships. And today I want to ask you a question. I wonder... I wonder what you think about this question. Is there hope for marriages? I mean, let's get real. Is there hope for marriages? I mean, in our day and age, really. I mean, so think about how marriages start. They start at a wedding most of the time. And uh, weddings are famous for having some disasters at them. Am I right? Some of you probably can tell some stories. I, I saw this one the other day. Talk about getting in deep in a hurry. Check this one out. Watch the screen here.
0: love him, comfort him, honor and keep him, in sickness and in health, and forsaking all others, be faithful to him as long as you both shall live.
1: The rings, please. Wow, you talk about, uh, you talk about uh, getting in deep right out the, right out the gate. Uh, okay, so we could probably tell some stories. I've done plenty of weddings, and I've seen a lot of funny things at weddings. You know, people passing out and throwing up and all that stuff, right? But I think we also know this, don't we? That the real problem isn't the wedding. Okay, I don't care how bad it was. The problems begin when? After the, after the wedding. The problems begin in everyday life as time moves forward, don't they? I, 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 um, I got to show a picture to you. This is a picture of a happy couple. That's my wife, Carla. My wife, Carla, is here today. Uh, and also, let me just pause and say, you know, the elder team from Mountain Christian Church, we're down here on a retreat. We're thinking and dreaming about the future of our church, and they're here in this hour, here, uh, upstairs here, and it just uh, the guys from, the, from Mountain Church as the elders uh, are meeting with the elders from FCC today, we're going to pray with and for each other, and I just think it's a beautiful symbol, so thanks guys for being here, uh, raise your hand if you're one of the Mountain Elders, we're just glad you're here, and my wife Carla's here somewhere too, where's Carla, my, my bride, my friend, uh, and, and there she is, uh, same, looks the same, and... Um, that was 1990. We pretty much walked out of that church right down and got on a plane and came to Tennessee pretty much. But, um, you know, I, there were so many times that day and every day since, so many times along the way where I thought to myself, man, this is awesome being married. I just love her so much. She loves me. It's just going so great. And, and, and I, I can't tell you how, how, how much joy it's brought me. But if we're being completely honest... I can also tell you what every single other married person who's been married for any time at all will tell you is that there's other days when you think to yourself, man, I I didn't know it was going to be this hard. Why does it have to be so hard? I I married some friends of ours just four years ago. They stood before me with starry eyes, said some beautiful words to each other and exchanged rings and walked down that aisle and everybody applauded. But just about two weeks ago, she, she sat down in the living room and said, I don't love you anymore. My feelings have really changed, and I'm going a different direction. We're done, and there were some papers, and it was over. He's gone. Is there hope for marriages today? And I, I don't think it's just an irrelevant question, because I know some people here are married, and you feel unloved and unwanted in that marriage. I know some people are, are married here today, and you're fighting all the time, and you're tired of it, and you wonder if there's any hope. Some of you are, are past that. You're just to the courteous but cold and distant stage, and others have had some infidelity, rock your marriage, and, and, and there's an erosion of trust, and you wonder if there's hope. Or It could be a miscarriage or a death or a special needs child or an addiction. It doesn't matter. So many things can, can lead us to ask that question, is there hope for marriages? Maybe it's no wonder that about one out of three today seems like they're ending in divorce. Let me just call time out and and, and say why are we even talking about marriage in a a room full of of a lot of people who, who probably aren't? Okay, let's acknowledge that right out the gate that a lot of people here aren't married today. Well, I think we can also acknowledge that marriage is important and that God has a lot to say about marriage and that We're being sold a pack of lies about what marriage is and how it works and we're not finding a lot of hope in what we're being sold. I think we need to talk about this question, is there hope for marriage? Because some of us are considering marriage. I mean, some of us are single and some singles are looking to be married someday. They're open to it, interested in it. Some are young, some are considering marriage. Plenty of young people are thinking about how to choose a mate and we need to know how to do that. So that's a good thing to talk about marriage even among people who aren't. And some are struggling in a marriage. That's why we need to talk about it. Maybe for your marriage, it's best represented by this cake topper. Wouldn't this be a great cake topper at a wedding? Just kind of at each other's throat from the beginning. You know, maybe that's how you are, though. You're struggling, and there's conflict, and you're not communicating. Or maybe we need to talk about this because some are a little more acute than that. They're, they're, they're suffering in a marriage. My son Nathan um, he, he took a road trip one time to Boston a few years back. He was so excited about it. He's up all the stuff in his car. He's going to go up there and work at this church. He's all excited. He kept texting every time he stopped it, like, Holy cow, Dad, there was another toll. This one was four bucks. That one was eight bucks. And then another 16 bucks. He spent like 25 bucks on tolls. And he got to another toll. It was like $13. And he had three bucks in his pocket. So he just said to the guy, I, you know, I don't got any money. And the guy's like, took his number. like, We'll be in touch. And I think a lot of people feel like marriage is that way. You know, you start out and you're all excited and the journey looks really so promising and then it just keeps exacting tolls and you eventually get to where I don't, I don't know if I can give what this is taking. Maybe that's why we need to, to talk about whether there's hope in marriage. And some are enduring in a marriage. Maybe like this cartoon pictures some how you could laugh at it but also feel like, yeah, that's us. There's barbed wire right down the middle of the bed. Apparently I've done something to upset you. Maybe there's no passion or hope or dreams for some of us. Some of us are probably recovering from a marriage that's ended. Some of us are divorced, or separated, and maybe you're here today, and truth be told, you kind of feel like a sub-Christian, like a kind of second-class citizen, or maybe someone's kind of led you to flee. That's your, that's your situation because you've got that blemish on your record. Some of us are encouraging a marriage because someone you really care about is struggling. It might be your parents in their marriage. It might be, it might be your kids. It might be someone you love, and so we're trying to we need some hope. How can we get a handle on hope for marriages? I know some of us are flourishing in our marriages. And it's a thriving, fruitful season, and we need to be reminded of all the things that everyone else does as well. There is no easy button for all this. Marriage is not always easy. Some days it's hard, and I'll tell you why. Here's, here's the secret. Because marriage is the union of two imperfect people. Okay? The reason marriage is hard, The reason your marriage is tough is because you're a sinner. Oh yeah, and you're married to one. Turns out that's the only kind of people there are. So if you want to, if it makes you feel better, you can turn to the person next to them and tell them, you know, you're a sinner. Because they are, but they already knew that, and we all do, but we kind of forget it when we get to marriage because we get this idea that it's gonna be so perfect, but the truth is, we come dragging ourselves into marriage, don't we? With all of our flaws, and some of our background, and some of our baggage, and stuff that, we got, you know, we got hurts, and we got habits and hang-ups, and we drag that in, and we mash it up with someone else's dysfunction and their junk, and we hope it's gonna sort of just be happily ever after, and it doesn't always work out exactly that way so quickly and smoothly, and yet, we want to know is there hope so let's let's try to get some hope here today Jesus tells a story one time that I think kind of points us to something cool Um, Jesus it's Matthew chapter 7 Jesus says you know there's there's two houses that are identical and I'm gonna do my best I I did I went to Emmanuel but they didn't teach art there so I'm gonna do the best I can okay here's a house okay a little chimney there nice little house a little grass out here. Here's the neighbors. Same floor plan. Oh, oh, this is not going to turn out the same. Okay? Same floor plan, same window, same everything. The houses look identical, don't they? Don't they? Yeah, yeah thank you. Okay. And Jesus tells his story and he says these houses are the, are the same. But then the storm rolls through the neighborhood, like a really really bad like hurricane force winds and pelting rain and swirling wind is coming and it's whoosh whoosh, whoosh pelting rain whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. he says two things happen first thing is this house over here he says it, you know there's a few sticks in the yard and some shingles fly off and a little water sleeps through one of the windows but but it's fine structurally it's sound and the people inside are okay they wake up in the morning and they go about their business but this house over here same storm winds howling and hurricane force winds come but as the rain saturates the ground around this house, it sort of gets soggy and, and, and eventually it begins to totter and, and then eventually it tips and the whole thing kind of crumbles down, the whole thing collapses in on itself into a pile of rubble. And everybody inside is badly hurt. Jesus says, what's the difference between these two houses? And of course we know the answer, don't we? The answer, What's the answer? Foundation. Foundation here underneath this house this house built on sandy soft soil this house built on foundation Jesus gets to the punchline pretty quickly he says I'm that rock build your life on me I'm the foundation I'm the rock solid foundation listen to me follow to me follow me do do what I say and you will find yourself standing in the storms and friends listen everybody who gets married is building a home you're building a house you're building a home And it matters what kind of foundation you build on. Everybody pays attention to the outside stuff that you can see from the curb. What we look like and what our home looks like and whether we're successful and whether the job looks good. And we pay all attention to this kind of stuff. But it's what's sometimes out of sight to sort of a casual passerby about the foundation of the home that makes the difference because here's the truth, storms are coming. I don't care who you are or how ideal your worldview might be, storms are coming. Because we live in a fallen world and Jesus didn't come back yet. So storms are coming. And the winds of change will blow in your home. And the storms of stress will blow in your home. And the hurricane of hurt will happen. And the only question is, what's your house built on at that moment? Because your foundation has a funny way of exposing what your house is built on. And this is why so many marriages are crumbling and hurting and some of us in here have lived in this house and we know the truth of what I'm saying. On Christ the solid rock, we stand. You want hope for your marriage. The best thing you could ever do is build your life on Jesus because I'm gonna invite you to invite Jesus into your life in a fresh way right now, today. Like like start fresh, like I want to invite Jesus into my life. I want that foundation in my life because guess what, that will change you. And that will change your marriage. We spend a lot of time trying to to fix our partner. But when we invite Jesus into our life, the first thing he does is work on you. And that's the best gift you can give to the planet. Is devote your life to Jesus Christ. Johnny Carson. Any of you old enough to remember Johnny Carson? Like, okay, I don't want to hear about, uh, you know... David Letterman or, or uh, Jay Leno. I want to talk about Johnny Carson. How many remember Johnny Carson, right? Yeah, all the old people. <laughs> so Johnny Carson had a guest on a show one time. He was an eight-year-old boy. He had uh, been rescued from a coal mine in Virginia. So he was talking to this little kid. It's pretty apparent after talking to this little kid he went to church a lot. So Johnny asked him a question. What did you learn in Sunday school last week? And he says, well, I, 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 we studied about how Jesus turned water to wine at a wedding. Well, everyone kind of snickered. Johnny says, well, what do you think we're supposed to learn from that? And the little boy thought a minute. He says, well, I guess if you're, if you're going to have a wedding and get married, you should invite Jesus to it. <laughs> that kid's right on, the money. He understood something about hope for marriages. Now, I just want to urge you to invite Jesus into your life. And if you're married... You'll end up in your marriage, and if that's the case, then you're going to find some, some stuff down here in your foundation that wasn't there before. I'm going to give you some building blocks of a foundation that will give you hope for your marriage. In the first one, the first one is to love like Jesus, to really love like Jesus, to be filled with the love of Jesus so it kind of comes out of you in a way that you can love like Jesus. Song of Solomon says, you know, many waters cannot quench love, nor can rivers drown nor wash it away. There's a kind of love the Bible talks about that can't be washed away, even with the worst storms. So, you know, sign language. Uh, stick your pinky up if you have one. Everybody got a pinky? Stick it up there. That's the sign language for I. Okay, everybody got that part? Okay, then do, then do this one. This is L, which is kind of an abbreviation sometimes for love. And when you want to say I love you, you put up all of them at the same time. You can try that. Some of you are you're not very cooperative. Yeah, this, this is how you show someone I love you. And, and we're trying to figure out how do you get a bedrock of, of, of hope in your marriage? Well, it starts with a Jesus kind of love and sending this signal in the right way to say I love you. Now, we've got to talk about love for a second. There's a lot of confusion, isn't there, about the word love, about what love is. Man, it, it, just think of the songs. I think of my generation. We, talked, we had songs like Muskrat Love and uh, uh, Love Hurts, Love Stinks, Love is Like a Rock, 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover. Right, I mean, there was just all these weird songs. Today, uh, Taylor Swift just came out with a new one. Can I go where you go? Can we always be this close forever because you're my, my, my lover? I don't know what she means by love, but it's in the song. Kesha says, your love is my drug. I mean, we got all these ideas about love, and then we use that one word, and we use it in all these different ways. Like, man, I love the mountains. I love the mountains of East Tennessee. Oh, oh, I love your dress. And then we say, oh, I love the Tennessee Vols. Anybody love the Tennessee Vols? And then we say, oh, and then we say, I love God. And then we, say, we get married and we say, I love you. Please tell me we don't mean the same thing when we say I love the Vols and I love my spouse. Well, so what do we mean when we say love like Jesus? We're talking about a different kind of love, a love that the Bible holds up for us and it's different than the pack of lies that were sold in the songs, okay? Love of the kind that'll help you. Love of the kind that's in the Bible is a different special thing and one one thing that makes a difference is it's not a feeling. Love is not a feeling. That's a good thing because feelings fluctuate. Feelings fluctuate. Like when you're on a roller coaster, you strap in and it's like, it <Aktans> starts going up that thing. You kind of get excited and you get to the top and all of a sudden what happens? Pew! <gasps> and then you go, <sound> and some people feel like their marriage is like that because if you tie your love to feelings, feelings fluctuate just like a roller coaster and no wonder you can, you can fall out of love as fast as you can fall out of a tree if you think love is a feeling but it's not a feeling. And love of Jesus' kind is not just not a feeling, it's not, it's not based on the physical. Feelings fluctuate, but the physical fades, am I right? Now, come on now, be honest. The physical fades. I, I stand before couples and I do these marriages and they'll say these vows and they'll say things like, oh, I just love you so much in this moment. You look so beautiful. I know it's always going to be this way. And I'm sitting there trying not to laugh. Like, I just want to say, you sucker, you have no idea what you're in for. You have no idea, right? I mean, come on now, married people. We're all being so polite here, you know, all dressed up and cleaned up pretty good here today, but let's be honest. The physical fades. Am I right? Can I get an Amen. Okay, yeah, it fades. I mean, we wake up one morning, she looks like she stuck her finger in a toaster. The hair's all out, right? He's got hair on his back, didn't see that coming. she got stubble all over, you know? Snores like a chainsaw, and his breath just like, oh! It's a good thing our love isn't tied to the physical, because you're so darn cute. I just can't help myself but love you, because... You know, the physical really fades. As we get older, it gets even worse, right? We start sagging and bagging and, you know, we try to suck it up and push it up and all that stuff. And you got the same body parts that are just 12 inches lower than they used to be. But you know what? If your love is based on physical, you're in trouble. So they got this app now. It'll tell you what you look like when you're old. Carla, heads up, honey. I I'd put my picture in the app. Show them the picture. This is sort of scary. Will you still love me when I'm 64 is my theme song now. Or as Ed Sheeran says, you know, when we're 70, but... Let me show you another picture. Let me show you a picture of my mom and dad. That's John and Dr. Kacharis. Dad just turned 90, mom's 91. This summer, they're going to celebrate 68 years of marriage. 68 years. Let me ask you a question. How would they do that? Do you think it was because their feelings every day were so warm? you think it was because they're so darn cute? I can guarantee it wasn't that. It was right here. They somehow were able to trust Jesus and by his grace had his, enough love of his in their hearts that they were able to love each other like Jesus loved. And that kind of love is a different kind of love. It's a foundation that you can build a life and a home on. And you, the best example of it is when you look at Jesus himself. When you look at his life as he gave his life away, But how did he epitomize that? Why are we hung on the cross? Jesus didn't go to the cross and hang on the cross and put spikes through his hands and die in the afternoon sun because it felt like something he wanted to do that day. He did it because love required it. Friends, love is a choice. Love in the Bible is a choice. Not a feeling, it's not physical, it's a decision. It's an act of your will. It's a commitment you make. It's a promise you tell yourself in the future. It's not about in this moment, I'm so with you. It's not, it's not about the moment at all. It's about the future. The Bible's version of love says it's a promise. I make an appointment with myself in 10 years. If you're here and I'm here, I'll be here. By God's grace, help me. That's my promise. And at the end of the day, all any of us are is the sum total of our promises, the ones we make, the ones we break, the ones we keep. That's your life, your promises. And so love is a commitment. You look at Jesus Christ and you see it. He didn't love us because we were so darn cute. Romans 5 reminds us that God showed his love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners, not because we were so attractive to him and then he turns it outward and he says no no you do you love like that John 15 Jesus says you know what my command is this love each other as i have loved you in the same way is what that means in the same manner that i'm about to love you and then we watch him on the cross and we remember these words greater love is no one than this and to lay down a life for a friend that's how we're called to love and this is why Paul then takes that very concept and he applies it to marriages. In, in Ephesians chapter 5, kind of the, the place we go to learn about the, the marriage dream of God in the Bible, verse 21, it says, we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We, because of our commitment to Jesus and how he's loved us, the reverence for Christ, we, we then submit to one another. And then verse 25 starts giving job description to husbands and wives. It starts with husbands. It says, husbands, and this, this is beautiful. It just says, Love your wives just as Christ loved the church. We saw Jesus die on a cross. And then he says, that's your job description. Love like that. He gave his life up for her, not because of what he wanted to get out of it for himself, but to make her holy and to clean her up and wash her by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any blemish. Instead, she'll be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands you got to love your wives as, as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows his love for himself. You're that close. No one hates his own body but feeds it and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church and we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery. But it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. That's a snapshot of what it looks like to love like Jesus. And each of us, if you get married, husband and wife, will be called on many times to love like that. So my oldest son, Nathan, got married in July, right here in Tennessee, right in John City. I think we've got a picture of him. Do we have a picture of him? That's him. He's the one on the left. <laughs> I gave him the same little note that my dad gave me when we got married from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And there's one little phrase that had struck me, and I, I've carried it with me all these years, and I wanted it to sink into my son so he could build a foundation. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, from now on, after this day, it's no longer your love, what you feel in your love that's going to sustain your marriage? You know what? It's your marriage that will sustain your love. The commit, Marriage is a commitment. And that's why it's a good thing. It's no longer just your love and what you feel that's going to sustain your marriage. It's your marriage that will sustain your love because you made a promise and a commitment. And sometimes that's all, it's all you got. And you say, I know things are going to change and I know my feelings are going to change and I know that, You're not gonna look the same, and neither am I. But when I say I love you in the biblical way, it makes my marriage more than a crapshoot or a roll of the dice and a hope that we sorta like each other in a little while. It just says we're gonna be together because Jesus loved me like that, and so I'm gonna do my best to love like Jesus. You do that as best you can in your own feeble little way, and friend, you'll have hope for your marriage. It overcomes so, so much. Chains don't hold a marriage together. It's threads. Tiny little threads, thousands of them every day, sewing together a fabric that holds you together. And I love the threads that were illustrated by Dylan and Patty Bays, who when asked, How did you do it? How did you stay married all those years? Here's what they said. Listen to this. Listen to these threads and think about your own life. We gave when we wanted to receive. We served when we wanted to feast. We listened when we wanted to talk. We submitted when we wanted to reign and rule. We forgave when we wanted to remember. And we stayed when we wanted to leave. If you're married, even if you're not, you want to send the signal, I love you with Jesus, love, let me give you three words. I'll give you three sets of three words. Sometimes you just need to say, I love you. Is there someone in your life that needs to hear those words from you? Today? If you're married, I might know who it is. Or maybe it's, I am sorry. Or maybe it's, I forgive you. It's how you love like Jesus loves. It'll give you hope, great hope. The second thing in the foundation is when we take that love and it goes further to where we serve like Jesus serves. To serve like Jesus. This is not popular concept. This is not what I want to hear. I want to hear someone that's going to make me happy. I want to get married to find happiness. But the Bible says, no, you're going to get married to make someone else happy. And in that, you find your greatest joy. Jesus found his joy by giving his life away. He said, it's the same for you. Give your life away. That's how you find it. And marriage is the simplest sort of way to do that. And so you give your life away. I, I lost a tennis match the other night because my serve went to pot. I was serving. I played tennis a couple times a week. I was serving and something kind of pinched in my back and it kind of jammed up and it's like it really hurt and I tried it again. It's like, ow, I couldn't serve. So I'm like literally kind of batting the ball over like I'm playing ping pong with the guy and he just smashes it back down my throat. Can't win without a serve. Kind of the same way in marriage. You, you, you ain't gonna, you're You're going to enjoy the game. You're going to do well in the game without, a, without the serve. And so the encouragement would be to improve our serve, if you will. To improve our serve and to look more like Jesus in that regard. The best gift you can give is to serve. Ephesians 5.21, remember, it says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's a posture of serving, isn't it? And then Philippians 2 points us right to Jesus. He reminds us of these words. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. But instead, be humble. Think about a marriage now. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And then listen to this. Listen to this. Look at the serving. Though he was God, he didn't regard that equality with God as something to cling to, but he, instead he gave up his divine privileges. And he took upon a humble position of a slave and being born as a human being, he appeared in human form and humbled himself in obedience to, to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. So much in culture days about you want to be a manly man and you sort of take territory and you beat, you know, just strong and forceful. Or if you want to be a real woman, you gotta take your territory back and be forceful. It's like, but the scriptures remind us that if you want to have a home that has hope for your marriage, then we're gonna submit to one another out of reverence for Christ and try to outdo one another in love. And serve each other. And every day you'll have opportunities to do that. By the way, you know why oysters should never get married? You know why? Because they're shellfish. Yeah, they're shellfish. So you shouldn't, yeah. Yeah, you guys aren't used to good humor here, I can tell. Yeah, so shellfish people don't make great spouses either. And so it, marriage can have a way of beating it out of us. Or, But, but, but it's got to, marriage can teach us to, to get past this sort of, gripe I constantly have with what you're not doing right to make me happy. And the invitation to serve like Jesus serves gets beyond that sort of, gee, I'm going to marry someone who's going to make me happy. Well, no, you're not. Because it doesn't work that way. We're invited to to marry someone that we want to serve. And in that, you'll find your greatest happiness. And it turns out the ways you do that are just practical everyday little ways by listening, listening, Spending time with, comforting, paying attention to the love language of the person you're married to, and whether that's popcorn or walks or snacks or cuddling or praying, just be kind. You know, Richard Seltzer is a, is a surgeon who did this surgery on this beautiful young woman one day. Uh, she was striking in her appearance, but she had some problems and they had to do a little work and they unfortunately snipped a little twig of a nerve in her face and it left her face kind of grossly contorted. Twisted in a sort of grotesque fashion. She was a person who, when she walked into a room before that, she'd kind of turn heads. She was so beautiful. Now she would kind of draw attention for another reason, you know. She's waking up from surgery, and her young husband is sitting by her side. And she says, can I have a mirror? He hands her a little mirror, and she looks at it and sees her twisted mouth. She asks the doctor, is it always going to be this way? He says, yes, I'm sorry, I snipped some nerves. Her young husband, generous and kind, he kind of quickly speaks up. He says, well, I kind of like it. I think it's cute. And the doctor said, I was so close I could see as he bent in, leaned across the bed and awkwardly twisted his lips in the most contorted fashion he could to match the shape of hers and kissed her. The person you married is filled with all kinds of imperfections and you serve them with the love of Jesus and you've got something that will last no matter what happens. Love like Jesus. Serve like Jesus. And what's left? Put your hope. Put your hope in Jesus. Put your hope in Jesus. You want hope? Well, put your hope in Jesus. In other words, don't put your hope in your marriage. You want hope for your marriage? Don't put your hope in your marriage. Does that make sense? Place your hope in marriage because your marriage is not going to save you. It's just not. I, I sometimes marry these people and say, oh, you know, he just completes me. i like, no. No, he doesn't. No, no, no. Sorry, but no. You may feel that way, but no. You ever heard that, that expression, inside every human heart is a God-shaped hole? God made us in a way. He designed us for himself. And there's this God-shaped hole, and we spend a lot of time, some of us, don't we, trying to fill up that sort of sense of not being okay because that hole with all kinds of stuff. We could tell some stories in here about drugs and alcohol and, or, or being Mr. Goody Two-Shoes or you know, Achiever or getting a job or being successful and all that stuff. We're trying to fill up that hole, and if it isn't God, there's still stuff left over in the hole. And some of us are like, well, I know what happens. I'll get married. That'll do it, but it won't because it's a God-shaped hole. The only person who can fill up the God-shaped hole is, is Jesus. He made you with that hole on purpose to draw you to himself. And when we long for someone as a companion, when we long for love and friendship and fellowship, you know what it is? It's God kind of training us to long for him. The best you can ever get, though, in earthly love is just a little taste of the love that we're really made for. And that's not in marriage, but marriage is just an illustration of the great promise and love that Jesus has given us. So don't put your hope in your marriage. Jacob did that. He was going to marry Rachel. Remember this old story in the Bible? Some of you Bible students will know this. Rachel was awesome. She was beautiful. She was gorgeous. He was going to marry her. And, he, and the, guy, the dad said, you can. So he's like, great. He waits seven years to marry Rachel. Hot dog. They, 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 they think they have the ceremony. And he's going to go consummate the marriage. So he goes into the tent. It's night. He's ready. And the, it's dark. The lights are out. In comes. But they play a trick on him. And they don't send Rachel in. They send her ugly sister, Leah. He didn't want to marry Leah. He gets in there and doesn't know the difference. He consummates the marriage, and then in the morning, guess what? Sun comes up, he looks, and the Bible says in a rather understated way, and behold, it was Leah. He's like, holy cow, I married the wrong person. Friends, in the morning, it's always Leah. Okay? It's the way it works. And some of us are like, you know what? I think I married the wrong person. I waited a long time, and and it's not coming true. It's sometimes because we're putting our hope in our marriage. And that's some of the reason why. Because a longing in marriage can't be met by any human being, but only by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, if you're single today, or if you're divorced, or you're struggling in a marriage, or you're happily married, or you've blown it, you've messed up, you've failed you run away, or you've made some missteps and misfortunes, or you're just trying to struggle to get by and it doesn't feel like you've got a lot of life. Uh, there's hope for marriages because of Jesus Christ. That's my message for you today. He's the one, the Bible says, makes all things new. The old is gone, Scripture says, and the new has come because of the power of Jesus Christ and the love of Jesus Christ. He can make a new creation, just like he said to Lazarus in that grave, come forth, and that dead man walked, and some of us have marriages that feel dead like Lazarus, and he can make your marriage walk again with his love and his service in your lives, and that's what brings us hope, and that's a foundation we can build our homes and our hearts upon. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ and the promises he makes to us, the vows he makes to us. Just as the Bible says, a man will leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, we just are so grateful that Jesus left the confines of heaven to come to us, to love us and to serve us and to give us hope. And now, Lord, will you help us to receive that love and then to share it and to live it and to cling to it so that we might have hope in Jesus' name, all of us. And today especially, we pray for marriages. Touch and heal and give hope. Through Jesus we pray. Amen.